Hi guys, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Mike Goytine, an enterprise OKR, agile and product coach at KeyBank, a top 20 US bank. Michael has a background in IT consulting, now supports KeyBank's ongoing agile transformation. So today we're going to talk about creativity and strategy versus analysis and planning. So welcome to Giant Talk, Mike. It's good to have you with us for today's episode. Please can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hey, Carly. Thanks for inviting me on. Happy to be here. So yeah, Mike Goitain, I have been involved in a lengthy IT consulting career across pretty much everything, content, publishing, marketing, startups, healthcare, and quite a bit in the banking and financial services area as well, where I currently find myself. And across all those experiences, pretty much had every role from being a Unix admin, staring at green letters on a dark screen to, <laughs> you know, doing engineering, UX, um, program, portfolio management, product. And um, so, yeah, you know, a lot of experience with Agile over about the last 10, 11 years. And uh, I'm now currently at KeyBank. And I started there as a senior Agile coach about four and a half years back and went up to the Agile coach uh, team and have been working there on, on Key's ongoing Agile transformation. And so it's really that notion of moving from the team level and on daily interactions, trying to get things right with those team level interactions up to now the enterprise level of governance, metrics, structures. And now, of course, spending a lot of time, um, a great passion of mine through the goal setting, through objectives and key results. Thank you. Thank you for telling us more about your um, yeah, your lengthy um, career, um, not just in IT, but in all sorts of, of areas. So I think a good place to start our discussion is around the common misconception that OKRs are a form of planning. Can you talk us through this misconception? I think that OKRs can bring the most benefit when they're looked at as a way to execute against strategy. And um, so if you don't have that strategy coming out of the gate I, and you're thinking of using OKRs as a substitute for that strategy, they're not going to really be able to provide the same effectiveness and the same value. So the strategy is really the point of starting from a that perspective of imagining a different future. It's rooted in creativity and ultimately client centricity. And that's as opposed to that planning focus, which is really more rooted in analysis and very much a sense of that we are the customer. So it's, it's ultimately, uh, I think Amazon said it best, it's that notion of working backwards from a real client problem that we are uniquely able to solve through innovation versus starting with a laundry list of items that our stakeholders and our salespeople want us to build. Mm -hmm. And you briefly touched on it there, but just the terms strategy and planning, they're often used interchangeably when, in fact, they are quite fundamentally different. Can you just briefly explain, in your point of view, what each term means? Right. I mean, I think the definition of strategy that I find the most helpful lately is the one that comes from Roger L. Martin, 
And um, uh, he wrote a book with A.G. Lafley from Procter & Gamble called Playing to Win. He's written numerous books. He was uh, dean of the Rotman School of Business, extremely well-respected business thinker. And in his perspective, he sees strategy as an integrated set of choices based on thinking creatively and client-centricity to imagine and shape a future where the organization can win. And strategy is really the essence of leadership, that vision and long-term thinking. And now, again, I'm not saying one is better than the other, but ultimately planning is based on thinking analytically and mostly internally, assuming that everything that we know is everything we need to know and assuming that we are the customer for our own work. And so planning is good because, I mean, you need that to be able to control costs and and get execution rolling. But I think the point is planning is really the essence of management. So it's strategy is leadership. Planning is really the focus of management. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we think about that, where the um, focus has been for a lot of business schools, MBA programs, they churn out a lot of people who are experts in analysis and planning, and they feel more comfortable in that area. And uh, even when they go out and hire consultants, the consultants that they hire are going to be people who tend to specialize more in planning. They may call it strategy, but ultimately it comes down to some kind of Gantt chart, uh, laying out releases in a timeline with milestones and maybe some numbers sprinkled in. And so, so really, it's, it's what a lot of people feel more comfortable in. With, it's what they know best. And so definitely this notion of thinking more strategically and client-centrically will be very uncomfortable to a lot of people staying in that creative frame of mind. But again, that's the essence of leadership. And one of the things that you mentioned before, coming back to um, previous conversations around Roger Martin that you mentioned was that how he defined um, strategy to imagine and shape a future where you will win and that really sort of resonated with me um and i think that's really important and also just touching on the creative frame of mind which we'll, we'll get to a bit later in the podcast one of the things that i wanted to to pull out was that going back to goal setting and okrs in particular in that some businesses don't fully understand that OKRs are a method for executing strategy. I just wondered if you can talk a little bit more about that and the problems that that can sort of cause when you have that mindset. Right, Carly. I think I think people see OKRs as like sort of a, a cure-all for many existing dysfunctions, not able to get things done, not able to get the right things done. So people mm-hmm. just copy and paste the framework onto their existing delivery dysfunctions. And I think if we get back to that notion of executing strategy without having that strategy from the top, we're really not going to get the benefits from it. And um, and like we mentioned, people are very comfortable in that analysis and planning focus. And so what you typically have is some kind of strategic plan, um, which is more or less some kind of budget with a few words and uh, explaining some kind of cadence at which there's an expectation that things will happen. And I think the true strategy, if we go back to that Roger Martin definition, is that notion of laying out a set of integrated choices. And 
it's being clear also what the organization won't do. So I think if we come back to that, if you take OKRs and put them on top of some existing issues, but then you don't take away anything else, I think it's really important to say, okay, we're going to do this and what are we not going to do? And that Mm -hmm. pertains to both using OKRs themselves as much as having that clear strategy about where you'll play and how will you win in that space. Mm-hmm. And I think um, when organizations use OKRs in, in not the right way, it's quite easy to then sort of say, oh, OKRs don't work, they don't work for our business. But in actual fact, going back to that key point, you know, OKRs allow the strategic plans of the business to, to be communicated across teams. So you have to have that strategic plan in place and not just, like you said, copy and paste and, and, and dump OKRs on top of dysfunctional problems. Organizations need to get out of task-based thinking and, and into more of an outcome-focused approach. And this quote comes into brings into the creative mindset and, and how this differs. Um, I wonder if you can talk us through this creative mindset and, and the benefits of this to the business. Yeah, I think outcomes is one of the things that uh, is most alien to that um, that that analysis and planning focus. we're trying to imagine how will a client be behaving differently? How will they change behavior based on a specific set of these where to play and how to win choices? Output is just something you've decided to build or somebody has told you to build. Mm -hmm. And I think when we come back to that point of creativity, I think the main proponents of this outcomes over outputs sort of ongoing thought leadership is definitely Josh Seiden. And he wrote the book by the same name, Outcomes and Over Outputs, as well as together with his co-author, Jeff Gothelf. And they've written a book called Lean UX. I think it's uh, just in its like fourth edition. And they really emphasize this principle and they're really very creative in their focus. So for them to imagine that alternative reality where clients are doing things differently as a result of choices that we make, it comes somewhat more naturally to them. And Mm -hmm. I would say the same about what I think is probably one of the two best books on OKRs, which is Radical Focus by Christina Woodkey. Again, she comes out of very much of a strong UX background, very creative person. And so I think their ability to think in terms of that alternate future and outcomes focus is really the essence of that creative strategy versus analysis and planning perspective. Yeah, and I think just mentioning that, um, Christina and Josh and Jeff and having that, um, being more creative um, people anyway. So I think a good point there is, um, you know, to get more benefit from from your um, OKRs and your strategy is to bring more people into into play that that maybe have more of a creative of mindset um you know bring some some shared ideas from from those that it comes more naturally to as opposed to those that find it maybe a little bit difficult to get into that um creative space well said. The, yeah um, and one of the things that we spoke previously um before we we recorded um the podcast was around the concept of transparency and i know that I'm sort of jumping around a little bit here from creative mindset to um, a culture of transparency, but they they definitely go hand in hand in terms of, you know, having a space for people to 
be more creative and, and have more of those creative ideas. Um, and I know this is something that you've written a lot about and spoken a lot about before. So I wonder if you could just um, tell us a bit more about your experience there. Yeah, this is, I think, one of the other big benefits of OKRs is you have this shared shorthand for strategies to how to speak about the work that you're doing so that literally any manager or any person can go to any team, any team and say, what OKRs are you working on? What are you working against? And everybody gets that you have that aspirational objective. And then you have the quantitative key results as to how you'll know that you're achieving that objective. So that having that shorthand of strategy is massively crucial. And I think having the OKRs in a place where everyone can see them, everybody can see everybody's OKRs, that really raises the level of transparency and understanding so that there's that alignment not just vertically from the top of the house down to what an engineer might be working on or a UX designer might be creating, but also horizontally so that teams can be aware of what each is working on and how they can be part of that or understand or have a question and, and get information. So I think that that vertical and and, and horizontal alignment is, is really crucial. And I think Transparency is built into the OKR process because you have that sense of checking in at a regular cadence. And that's mm. absolutely you know, fundamental. If you're creating your OKRs and putting them in a drawer somewhere and not coming back until the end of the quarter, they're definitely not going to create that benefit and that focus. So, yeah, yeah. Don't just set them and leave them. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I think if, if, managers go to OKRs, uh, to teams working against OKRs and seeing, and if teams are transparent about their progress and about their confidence in delivering them, managers can go and say, hey, I see you're having a problem with this. How can I help? How can I support? And that is really the essence of, again, that format of servant leadership and, and removing obstacles. And um, if you don't have that transparency and teams aren't checking in, you know, you're just not going to have that, that collaborative approach. So there are organizations, probably the same ones you mentioned that say they're not getting traction with OKRs. Probably a lot of those OKRs are being dictated from the top, right? And really when you get that notion of top down and bottom up together, that collaborative kind of goal setting is where it can really give the teams a sense of engagement and being invested in the outcome. And it's something, yes, it'll be tough. It'll be a stretch to deliver, but it's something that they can commit to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's something that we we talk about a lot at There Be Giants as well in, in terms of how important check-ins are. Um, and as you said, not just putting your OKRs in the drawer and forgetting about them for, for a month or so, but especially with teams that um, don't normally, you know, work as closely together. So you have these cross-functional OKRs um, you have remote teams that you know you're not sitting next to each other in the office. You have to have those um, regular check-ins. I'd say you know at least bi-weekly to to catch up, offer support if you can see that someone is um, you know struggling or maybe needs a little bit of support. Um, so yeah, it's definitely important to to have that collaborative and cross-functional approach. And um, of course. For transparency to happen, you need to have a safe environment, which we've 
touched on briefly, but one that is supportive. So what what happens when your organization organization doesn't have this? I know you have an interest in watermelon status, which I'm interested to find out more about. This is a classic hallmark of traditional legacy enterprise large-scale efforts in IT. And it's that notion of watermelon, and I'll give full credit to Barry O'Reilly on this. I think it's a brilliant um, insight, but it's that notion everybody checks in and they say, well, how are things going? You know, here's your bi-weekly or monthly status. And, you know, they're working on some massive 18-month project and everything's going fabulous. It's great. And then sort of that day right before the release of code to production to clients, that status changes from green to red. And <laughs> so this is ultimately, you know, that green to red watermelon. And it's because there's just no safety to raise your hand earlier yes. and say, hey, I'm having a problem. I don't have com- comfort here. I don't think we'll be able to deliver this. So rather than raising your hand sooner and getting help sooner, uh, the teams just stay heads down, look like they're being very busy, but ultimately this is a sinking ship. And again, a lot of this is what agile development and the built-in cycles and cadences of inspect and adapt and empiricism address. But I think it's also the same point with with OKRs. They have that built in as well. So, and I think managers that go to teams and say, hey, how are things going? No, how are things really going? How can I be of help? How can we get ahead of some things? And unfortunately, there are those managers out there who don't create safe environments. They don't want to hear bad news. Mm-hmm. And they just, in a public forum, when a team shares a status or any concern, they'll publicly ridicule them. And uh, when, in fact, if you think about it and take a step back, maybe the leader had some role in setting up the organization in that dysfunctional way. Maybe the manager is being incentivized to increase utilization for all of their people. So let's say you have a certain subject matter expert and they're needed by four teams and they're massively overutilized. And so any team will not be able to deliver their work if they're all trying to (laughs) use the skills of this one person. Mm -hmm. Again, this is the way the organization is set up. So it's really a very different approach. Um, Just that sense of getting those leaders the kind of coaching they would need to be able to understand to get ahead of these things earlier, use a servant leadership approach and work to actively remove blockers from, from the team. But for that to happen, the teams also has to have to continuously use that transparency. Mm-hmm. And, um, and look, some leaders will say it's, it's not um, it's the teams. I just need the right people on my teams. And there's this, incredible video on YouTube, which is just a snippet of a talk given by Simon Sinek. So if you search Noah video by Simon Sinek on YouTube, in about two minutes, you understand the perspective from somebody on the team and how they will be entirely different based on what the leadership is like. And in this case, it's somebody working at Four Seasons versus somebody working at Caesar's Palace. And uh, I, I think it's absolutely incredible to see that perspective. It's very eye-opening. Thank you. I'll, I'll link to that in the in the show notes. Um, I just wanted, yeah, to touch on that um, transparency. And I think it's just, 
important really important to have that those open lines of of communication it's one of the reasons why we actively advocate for having internal OKR coaches um and depending on the side of the organization at least one um to to help with that um safe space and that psychological safety and also to keep the momentum going with your check-ins and um you touch there on um testing and iterating um and that's something that i wanted to, to pick up on because it's so important to like you said look at the blockers and catch those things that before it gets too late which is why it's important that people feel safe to put their hands up when they're having you know coming up against challenges and not to feel like they have to sit there and wait until the day before a check-in or a day, the day before you know it comes to the end of the their OKR cycle and it, it becomes a bit too late um so one of the things that we talk a lot about is testing learning and adapting and I know you um mentioned to me stretching failing learning and iterating along the same lines um how can this benefit an organization I think innovation in and of itself gets a bad sort of uh, perspective but I think ultimately it's figuring out how teams not just have to do that basic support work or iterating on existing work but also innovating and that's where they can provide value and come up with unique and novel solutions to serve the company's customers in uniquely differentiated ways. And this is really what well-written OKRs, well-coached in the service of an overarching strategy can be so effective at doing. And if you stayed in that creative, client-centric, strategic perspective and collaborated in that top-down, bottom-up perspective of of setting these outcome-focused OKRs, you've liberated your team to figure out and strike that path through continuous discovery and figure out how to deliver on that aspirational objective and those quantifiable numbers. And this is really that challenge when you invoke analysis and planning during your OKR's creative uh, creation process. It's you you tend to come up with objectives that are completely uninspirational, aspirational. You you tend to have key results that are really just lists of tasks. And so when you have a task list of key results, there's only one right answer. And that is typically the answer that that your stakeholders have told you to do, build X, build Y, build Z. And there's only one right answer. And so when you've delivered that thing and it doesn't achieve the results you anticipated, essentially, you know, that that has wasted the entire quarter or more. So it's really that outcome, right? That working back from that client-centric outcome, measuring how clients will be doing things differently, you open that door to, to really be able to innovate and try different things and iterate in the service of increasing that confidence of moving a, a key result metric. Mm. And of course, you, you, you're only going to um, be more innovative and, and have those more creative ideas and and stretch when it comes to your OKRs if you have the right environment if you have that safe environment to be able to think a bit more outside the box and try something different that you've not done before Um, and I think having an environment where it's okay 
to fail. If you don't reach 100% on your OKRs, it's not, you know, there's, and there's no repercussions. It's, it's not the end of the world. It's part of that learning and adapting. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely um, key to build that um, safe culture of um, transparency and psychologically safe space before you sort of delve into your into your OKRs. Thank you, Mike, for joining me for an episode of Giant Talk. It's been really good to find out more about yourself and your background and bring in some um, real examples and to really delve into creativity and strategy versus analysis and planning. And I hope that um, those listening can really um, take some key points and some food for, for thought from the conversation. I will also link to some of the things that you mentioned, so that the Noah video from Simon and a couple of the, of the books. And thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us for another episode of Giant Talk. As always, if you have any feedback or if you want to get in touch, please email growth at therebegiants.com. Thank you. Thank you, Carly.